Welcome to episode 34 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me in X-Men, the animated series weekly recap podcast. I am JC, and this is the fourth of four episodes being recorded tonight. So we're on <laughs> drink number four. Oh, you re- resorted to the ice. Shut up, Rod. <laughs> is this is that when you got on like one knee? You to, oh, you're mixing it too. Being lazy right now. It, it is. It has been a night. We've been covering the Dark Phoenix quadrilogy. Is that right? Anyway, <laughs> sure. And yeah, there's a lot that is a good for a good reason, but it's like a lot to it's some heavy shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> we found out that Jean was being mind manipulated. She like was ready to kill a galaxy that luckily was uninhabited. Like yeah. there's some stuff going on. We should finish the rest of the intro. Yeah, and I'm Rod. I think we're supposed to plug our stuff here. Just like look me up, Rod Kim. I'm on the internet. I do music and stuff and this podcast. It gets tagged in the post. Yeah. Cyclops is waiting for me as our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men the Animated Series in their original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97 coming to Disney Plus in the fall of 2023. So in case you're wondering how we determine the order of the episodes, if they haven't fixed it on Disney Plus yet, we utilize the listed order and previously on X-Men, the making of an animated series by the lead showrunner Eric Leewald, which is also available for reference on Wikipedia. And just for clarity, it is the list, not the entire book that is available for reference on Wikipedia. (laughs) Some quick reminders, we're a recap show about a series that came out 28 years ago. There will be spoilers. And if you don't want it spoiled for you, tough shit. Pause the podcast, (laughs) watch the episode and then come back. We're going to do our best to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes that we haven't covered yet. We are not sponsored or affiliated with Disney or Disney Plus in any way, shape, or form. Insert joke if appropriate. It's so obvious to people when we get to the fourth episode of any recording session. Right. You, you guys live for it now, right? We're we're halfway over halfway through the series, so you're either your rider dies with us, like you're either in it with us or you've given up. So. We're not, or are we? This is. Epi- I think we're over halfway now. We are on episode forty three of the seventy six. Yeah. So yes, we have crossed over. It got all wonky when we started doing multi parts as single episodes for yeah. us. So don't forget to <laughs> speaking of, don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM Pod on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, make sure to follow us on all your favorite podcast services. Finally, we record these episodes in batches. Not that you need to be reminded of that in the fourth one of the day for us. So if we're reacting to any news about the upcoming series, we may be a few weeks behind. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> So on to the show. Today, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 17, titled The Dark Phoenix, Part 4, The Fate of the Phoenix, which is the finale of the Dark Phoenix saga. It aired on November 26th of 1994, and similar to the previous episode, sits at an 8.2 star rating on IMDb. I love that they put this whole traumatic miniseries on us during like the time of thanksgiving in 90 yeah. that's amazing all right just in time to argue with your family <laughs> yeah because my family was totally talking about x-men comics at thanksgiving <laughs> dinner all right so episode kicks off where you know literally every episode of this quadrilogy as rod likes to say has just picked up right where the previous one left off and you have the capture of of gene from the shiar imperial guards everybody is is kind of you know trying to to ready themselves to defend gene this is the actually the the only real animation mistake i saw besides where, all the real fire <laughs> that was intentional yeah. but wolverine's forehead was actually the same color as his skin tone instead of the yellow and it totally was jarring for me 
We can make up some canon about that, like when Xavier's talking to Lelandra telepathically, it like shoots Wolverine's head. No, no. <laughs> but speaking of Xavier, he pops into Lelandra's head, and then you hear in a Shi'ar language, the Aknin Hala, which stops the Imperial Guard. And essentially, Xavier reveals that he has challenged everybody to a duel of honor and it cannot be refused and then beast gives like the line of the episode for me in all of our names yeah <laughs> i wish i really this would have been a perfect moment for xavier like oh all of your names because <laughs> i'm not gonna fight which i mean fair they know each other well enough that they were all gonna fight for gene but it is pretty hilarious that like yeah he, he made the split second decision of you're gonna go to a battle of the death against opponents that I'm not even sure who they are. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, and we're not even sure it's going to be fair. So they all teleport away and they end up on a ship. It is a little more than, you know, your standard like cruiser. It definitely had a little bit of a almost an arena vibe. Is that a fair? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a non-campy version of the Mojo Vision stuff. Well, you say that. We're going to skip slightly ahead because we do see a shot of the crowd. So who did you recognize from the crowd? Nobody was I supposed to. So there were definitely some intentional and maybe coincidental characters seen in there. Intentional, there was a scroll, there was a Kree, specifically the Kree soldier, like classic Captain Marvel style. Yeah, okay. There was literally a xenomorph from Alien, but with a red color pattern. Maybe why did that not register to me? I don't I know. Notice that. I can I see myself not I don't know why I missed the scrolls too, but I can see myself not up in the Kree, the Kree because yeah. my mental image of the Kree is usually burnt in as the Captain Marvel movie. I do remember the Kree from the comics every once in a while, but it, it was less exposure, Fair. so it doesn't stick with me. Yeah, a few others that, that are in there, and these may have been a little less intentional or just kind of like more general like alien vibes. There's one that actually looks like a green version of the thing. There's a Badoon, which is a Marvel alien character race. You have two that look like they're from Star Wars. You have one that looks like Twi'lek, you know, the ones with the head tentacle things. And then the Ithorian, that's the one from the Cantina bar that looks like a hammerhead. Nice. And then one that I didn't recognize, but according to online, there was a alien flip, which is essentially Kaiju from Ultraman Leo. Oh, and those were all apparently in there. That sounds like a thing where they let like storyboard or animators or something, you know, like kind of like insert their own Easter eggs. Like we need alien crowd. Do we don't care what just don't get us in trouble. So we're in this arena and you see, you know, Lalandra is going back and forth with Charles and Charles is like, look, I thought we were friends. Mm -hmm. And and Lalandra says, well, I owe you my life and my throne. We are friends. But the Phoenix is way too powerful. Because she destroyed this whole star system that, you know, and it will only get hungrier. Yeah. Originally, the Phoenix lived to serve the Empire, but now it lives to experience new sensations. How did you interpret that? Because that, for me, was like it didn't have a choice in its own destiny, and they were kind of suppressing it in a way. Yeah, I, I get the sense. So now that, you know, I, I me personally have seen the Kree and, you know, the Marvel cinematic movies and stuff, in, unless this is not accurate to the comics and stuff, you were seeing like the Shi'ar and everybody like it, they're at the very least less emotional than humans. And so we're kind of getting this almost it was like the guards in England, like you're supposed okay. to kind of show. No. Oh, the guys that tourists are now constantly trying to get to crack on TikTok? Yeah. Yes. Or forever, the people, you know, even before social media, yeah. just trying to get photos. Yeah, of but now you get clout, right? Yeah. <laughs> clout for you know, messing with people. But yeah, I, I get the sense that they, they, 
they're like, well, we're pretty emotionless, so we want you to guard you who is guarding us to be the most emotionless because we just want you to be objective about things. Right. And and that's kind of like a theory within like higher levels of society as emotion mm-hmm. kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. But since we're the only society that we know of that's sentient, it's just a theory. Yeah. So who yep. knows? Yep. But it, for me, it was like it was almost a little bit sad of like, well, this is kind of like the repressed kid that yeah. if their parents are so overbearing and don't let them experience the world, the Phoenix is kind of in its teenager state of yeah. like, oh, you're going to experience a ton of stuff that you were not prepared for. And then you're going to go crazy and rebel. Unfortunately, rebellion here means you can blow up star systems. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, they they emphasize the fact that it was uninhabited. But what happens next time if it's not? And that's when we see all these alien species of, oh, the galaxy is a big freaking place. Mm-hmm. What happens if it's not? Is it going to be the Kree that are killed? Is it going to be the Skrulls that are killed? Is it going to be the not alien xenomorphs yeah. <laughs> that are killed? You know, And Jean actually justifies Lalandra's worry because she doesn't feel like she can contain it if it comes yeah. back. Yeah, she says that the Phoenix is still inside of her. It's contained, but you know, it's yep. still there. So Xavier makes sure that it is clear to all in attendance that he has invoked the challenge of Aknin Hala and Lalandra is against it. And she's like, you're just going to compound the tragedy at this point. That was some great writing because even for a kid show or whatever, just hearing that phrase compounded the tragedy. It was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> because as emotionless as they seemed to be when talking about the Phoenix of the, you know, lived strictly in service of the Empire, like she knows that this is a tragedy that Jean has to be put mm-hmm. down. Yeah, she's like, now I know that I have the strongest guard in the universe. They're not going to lose to you. Yeah. This is a duel of honor, i.e. to the death. So sorry, I'm going to off your entire team. But Xavier's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, you get to live. You and Jubilee get to live. Yeah, Yeah, where is Jubilee during all this? She's literally been sleeping in. She has no yeah. idea any of this is happening. Well, Andrew does go to consult with like the other leaders of right. the, the galaxies and stuff. I didn't recognize them visually at first, but as they were talking, I do recognize the groups and stuff, the Kree and the Skrulls. I didn't recognize the Kree right at the beginning, though. Right, so... That is definitely one of those, like, been around in comics for, mm-hmm. for decades. The Supreme Intelligence, giant floating head in a bottle. And then the Skrull Empress, you know, she's she's been around forever as well. The only part of it that ebbs and flows within the Marvel comic universe is are the Kree and the Skrull fighting each other? Is there a galactic civil war? Are they united, etc.? Mm-hmm. But at this point in, in the cartoon universe, they're obviously on friendly enough terms that they're like, yeah, we think it's fair. But then to your point, when we were you know getting ready for the episode, the Skrull Empress is just like, but they can't win, right? Yeah, they can't be allowed to win. And you interpreted that as you have to fix the game, essentially. Yeah, I thought that that meant they were going to rig something. Mm-hmm. So we jump over and essentially it's like a training room, kind of like a not so dangerous danger room. <laughs> and the X-Men have, have been split off into, into groups. First, you have Beast and Storm, who kind of have a little bit of a differing opinion as to, is this the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on, on like that part of the conversation? Well, it, it, you know, anybody, if you were you know watching the show, you obviously know you're in the audience. You're like, oh, you want Jean to live. You're invested in her. But if you were actually in this world, you know, you might be like, you know, maybe that one lady, she's worth doing away with. So the rest of us can be like guaranteed safety, at least from the Firebird. And so I think that's what, you know, Beast is kind of saying. It's like, what, what? 
what side are we on here? Yeah. I did like that he, I don't know how many times they do this, but it stands out whenever they do. He calls her Aurora, you know, her real name. This was the first time, was she, the first was, time? she was okay. ever addressed by her actual first name okay. in the show. I thought that because I had, remember just like, oh, I hadn't heard him nope. say that. This, was, this, was, this confirmed from internet research. This yeah. was the first time her name was said in fall. So it's kind of... <laughs> I say it's almost in a funny way, but it's kind of serious too, is that like, you know, it's serious because he just dropped all the bullshit. It's like if my name was actually Jonathan and not John and my parents said, Jonathan, we need to talk. Like that's when it's like, oh shit, just got real. Yeah, you fucked up. I did appreciate, and this was, you know, years before the movie would come out, the prevention of future crimes of another. It was even one step beyond what you would see in something like Minority Report years Mm -hmm. later because it wasn't even like, it's a crime that she's going to commit. It's no, she's just the vessel and this other thing is going to commit the crime possibly. Yeah. It's like, are we really going to, again, it's a little bit of a different stake because it was the uninhabited solar system of 5 billion, but it's like, oh, she did destruction of property. She didn't actually murder all these people. Are we really going to hold her accountable for maybe shit hits the fan again in the future? Yeah, I didn't think about that shit. You know, besides the defensive fights, Mm -hmm. she really, yeah, she really hasn't actually done anything yet. Not that she didn't intend to. Yeah, she (laughs) she has a crazy amount of power, but at that point, it's kind of just like incredibly gross negligence rather than like, <laughs> it's not even manslaughter at this point, yeah. you know? Which arguably is basically what the X-Men do all the time. <laughs> I mean, they, they, are, they are incredibly negligent, but yeah. not by the legal definition. Yeah. <laughs> Here, drop that building on top of this person. Yeah. Hope there's nobody in it. Shoot that abandoned building with your optic blast. Hopefully there aren't squatters there. I still, you mentioned this in another episode, but I, I always love the image of Archangel-like removing a perfectly good pane of glass and then having the option of just sitting it down, but just smashing it anyway. And then Storm gives the response. And and this is kind of very in line with how Storm has been, especially with the Morlocks and such, where it's like, well, we at least get a trial by combat. And I got to agree with Beast on this. It doesn't actually adhere to justice Mm -hmm. because all it just means is you had the stronger team, not the team that was actually right. Yeah. It's like taking a math test to pass English or something. It's like, does that necessarily mean the thing you wanted to evaluate? Yeah. You have a little bit of a smaller version of this back and forth between Gambit and Wolverine, where Gambit is is also like, well, what if Lalandra's right? And Wolverine kind of basically says he's right or die with Gene, mm-hmm. like no matter what. It's end of the day, push comes to shove. I am with Gene all the way. I kind of wonder too, because Wolverine's not necessarily like the multidimensional, you know, immortal figure or whatever, but he's pretty close to it as far as a human goes. He's lived long enough. He's probably seen several lifetimes. And he was like, if nothing else matters to him, then Mm. this personal relationship probably like is held closer to him than like a historic, you know, value of anything. And I, I would I would agree to that. The only caveat I would say is I think given the time frame of it, he's in a second lifetime as opposed to like several, yeah. several at this point. But all the rest of you're saying, yeah, I totally mm-hmm. agree with you there. Yeah, so that he's the only one with a definite answer besides Lalandra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but going over to Lalandra, Charles tries to connect with Lalandra, goes into her mind because they have a, a psychic rapport similar mm-hmm. to what Charles and Jean have in certain ways. But he immediately jumps to asking for her help to contain the Phoenix. And Lalandra's pissed. She's like, dude, if this is all I am to you right now and you're just trying to save your friend, you're you're kind of abusing the relationship that we had and putting me in an awful spot because I just declared what what we're doing. Yeah. 
And also you were the one that manipulated us into this trial by combat. Why didn't you try to get me to help you at this earlier time? Yeah, which um, she's pretty right. He is manipulating her emotions. <laughs> yeah. And she gives a, a proper response of in this mental landscape, basically a pit opens underneath <laughs> Charles and he just falls into it. Yeah. Bye. We jump to what looks like not a, necessarily a bridge, but like an overlook of the stars. And Cyclops is is also questioning, you know, is Lilandra in the right? Rogue gives this very heartfelt, you know, I understand what you're going through right now. Like, I want a love that is like the love that you have, and you should fight for that. And Cyclops being the pragmatist, I guess, is kind of the best way of looking mm-hmm. at it, is if I was in her spot, meaning Lalandra's, would I act any different? Yeah, because he's also, the you know, the number one there, and probably not, especially if there's somebody on someone else's team. Actually, right. I'm pretty sure if we look back, He's kind of made that call already for other people. I can't think of one right off the top of my head, but that's in character for him. <laughs> I feel like he hasn't had to face as tough a decision of somebody who is possibly innocent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he'll take out somebody if he needs to. <laughs> for, the, for the quote unquote greater good. Exactly. And that's where we see Gene come out in what I phrased it as the OG outfit, which is the green with the spiky yellow. Yeah, the Marvel girl outfit. Right. So they specifically word it as she chose to wear this one because it's what she was wearing when she first met Cyclops. The comics, that's actually inaccurate. Okay. Because in the comics, if you remember X-Men number one, sorry, Uncanny X-Men number one, she had the headpiece that covered most of her hair and it was like coming out that's right. on the side. This outfit did not actually debut until X-Men number 39. So again, not a, not a plot point by any means for this one, but that stood out to me because we've seen like, flashbacks of the original X-Men team, but this is retcon to give it a little stronger meaning because she purposely chose to wear this one for Scott. Yeah. Yeah. She manifested it or carries it with her everywhere yeah. either way. And also in some of the most famous like X-Men comic book covers of the Dark Phoenix saga, she is also wearing this outfit specifically. Yeah. And then Rogue fucks off. Rogue fucked off, yeah. Yeah. That's my note. See? Yep. Those rogue fucks off. I can vouch he actually put Wait, I love her quote though. I think it was something like two's company and three's an eavesdropper. Yes. So I, I love that she's like, oh, okay, so you're about to get it on in this open space portal thing, so I'm going to take off here. I kind of get that vibe, too. Not that anybody did it intentionally, but it's just like, this is the first thing you saw me in, you know, or whatever. It's like, oh, that's kind of giving, like, very, like, intimate vibes. <laughs> you and I watch this show in such different ways. So they have a little bit of their heart-to-heart with Scott and Gene, and it's, you know, Gene asks, what, what happens if this breaks free? What if the next spot that it goes to is Earth? And kind of shows like what is her greatest fear of Earth being destroyed by the Phoenix Fourth, and and says, is it worth the risk? Yeah, she shows him telepathically or whatever, and they use real fire again in the end. They did. <laughs> the interesting thing to me is the is it worth the risk? Really harkened back to Scott with Cosair from the Starjammers yeah. of is one woman worth the risk? And Cosair's response was this woman was. Yeah. Scott, without saying it, is getting that moment for himself yeah. right now. He's his father's son. <laughs> yeah. Without knowing it. Yeah. And he, yeah, and he says she's worth everything. That yeah. his quote was she's worth everything that is. We're back at the arena area and they're kind of going through the ground rules essentially of you're going to be transported to the blue area of Earth's moon, which is uncharted. They specified that piece. Rod, what do you know about the blue area of the moon? 
I knew nothing before this. I didn't even know it was a real thing until you just asked me this question. I thought that was something they made up for this show because I know about Dark Side of the Moon. Is that the same thing? So Blue Area of the Moon in the comics has been the home to the Watcher uh, as well as the Inhumans. Oh, okay. I, I do know like the Inhumans area. So that's the Blue Area. Gotcha. So, yep. Blue Area of the Moon. So they lay down the rules. If the X-Men win, the survivors will be released. So that was like, oh, cool. You might win, but you're going to still lose people. Yeah, like, I think it's pretty much a given. <laughs> yeah, and if the guard wins, which I'm assuming that means everybody's dead, yeah. then Shi'ar are able to choose what they want to do with Jean. So then they get teleported to the blue area of the moon. They do. This part I was a little confused on, so either this was like just going to be left unresolved or I didn't catch something. Storm is surprised that she can fly, which kind of verifies something I was wondering about with her power set being tied to Earth because of the weather and stuff. So she's surprised. Then they realize, oh, everybody can breathe. And they notice all the ruins around them. Were the ruins supposed to be Inhumans ruins? Maybe? I think that is left up for interpretation. interpretation. But the it's, it's supposed to be there was something that was a civilization here. Okay. And it's under atmosphere. And I think that's the nuance of Storm is atmosphere. atmosphere. Yeah, it's not necessarily Earth as in our planet earth it is atmosphere relating to earth because it may be or similar to earth yeah because it because between that and what the scrawl empress said about not being allowed to win and this area of the moon being able to fly and breathe and stuff i was like so is this not the moon is this like some sort of like trap area or a simulation but it, it didn't play out that way at all well i think we actually do get back to what that trump card would have been a little bit later yeah, on yeah. but no i mean Here's the thing. You can't invoke a challenge in a fight to the death and then put somebody in an arena where they literally can't fight. I yeah. feel like if you are honor bound to respect the challenge, you can't put it in like you can't like start people in the middle of molten lava. You have yeah, to yeah. at least be above the volcano. Yeah, yeah. No, I get I get that now. But it was just like a weird thing. It was like, what is this area? OK, yeah. so across the arena, very similar to like, you know, a team death match in a video game. The Imperial Guard spawn across and we get a lot of very heavy action scenes. I don't think we're going to go through all of it in like yeah. fine detail, but everybody kind of splits into different teams, duos, trios. And it's kind of like a hit and run kind of scenario. Early on, the Shi'ar get an advantage and one of the members of the Imperial Guard says, first round to the guard, that's a good omen. I was like, oh, I don't really know if murdering people <laughs> rounds, but okay, bro. It's kind of like what the Spartans or whatever, they, they're warriors. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, all right, cool, we got the upper hand. We see what looks like it's going to be a murder when uh, <laughs> Wolverine takes down the pilot of the War Star duo, but then you find out it's just a robot inside and not a human that or an alien that he shredded. Yeah, because he, he says initiating like a repair sequence or something. You something. See it, it's like that liquid metal thing again where it's like reconstituting. Yes. The same thing as Rod's favorite dogs, the war wolves. Oh, yeah. yeah. The big metal dogs. Big metal dogs. What are, what are big dogs? <laughs> wolves. You you get kind of a, a gladiator moment in there. Wolverine also pairs off against Stingray. And Stingray gives like a really kind of respectful quote. Like, I, I think there's a lot of like, you know, disdain on the humans. But Stingray says, you know, the loyalty you have speaks well to your species. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, maybe we're not the most like, bottom dweller <laughs> species in the universe at this point yeah like at least you have honor yeah gladiator and rogue start going back and forth and gladiators getting the upper hand on her this time yeah because they rematch. squared off before yeah he actually mentions it he was like oh we get a rematch now you know <laughs> yeah now i'm gonna fuck you up woman <laughs> uh that'll get taken out of context <laughs> We cut back to the ship and Xavier is in pain watching like empathetically what's happening to his team. And this is actually the first time we hear the title of Lalandra, where they call her Majestrix. 
Oh, I thought that was just something they just said. I didn't know that no. was the title. Okay. That it, th- gotcha. So instead of calling her Empress, Majestrix is the... Gotcha. Yeah, because at one point, Majestor is the the placeholder for the head of the Empire, uh-huh. and Gladiator is actually that role in the comics at one point, gotcha. but the, the female side is Majestrix. And her response is, the woman in me wants to comfort him, but the Empress needs to be made of steel. That sounds like something that comes out of like the 80s barbarian movies, you know, like a statement. It's like, okay. the woman in me has passion for, you know, but the warrior in me wants to kill. And then snoo snoo. Yeah. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is spongy and weak. Speaking of spongy and weak flesh, Jean and Scott end up finding a spot where they kind of like hole up for a second and she puts a, a wall in front of them. Yeah. And Scott kind of must feel like they're at the end of the rope right now because he's basically like confessing all his feelings and there's so many things that he wants to say and there's not enough time. And then the advantage of dating slash being <laughs> engaged, sort of married to a telepath, she says, well, you know, it's really the thoughts that count. Yeah. And it it was a play on the normal phrasing mm-hmm. and I, I, I have no doubt it was intentional, but specifically the thoughts, thoughts. Yeah. plural, as opposed to the thought that counts. Yeah. So. She can she can just like kind of instantly read his, yeah. his emotions and stuff, yeah. which she didn't do when he went to go see Dazzler because she didn't want to go there. She was also in heavy <laughs> possession mode at that point. She'd also just woken up from like her fucked up yeah. dream yeah. too, Rod. Stop judging her. She's had, a, she's had a rough 48 hours. All of them have. <laughs> She also has a cosmic entity yeah. in her body. Well, Dirk, they've had a rough 48 hours. She's had like a rough, like what, like six months or something? At least like- <laughs> that, yeah. So, you know, they, they kiss and they hold hands and they emerge. And pretty quickly, Scott gets taken down. Mm-hmm. He confesses that he let her down. And when that happens, the phoenix unleashes. And Lalandra sees that and is like, nope. And then votes Plan Omega. Yes. So that's, to me, what I was referring to of... They can't still win. Even though they didn't have to use Plan Omega to take out the X-Men, that could have been the way that if they were about to lose, yeah. fuck on her at that point. Yeah, death ray from the sky. Exactly. They tried and true sci-fi trope. When that happens, it's kind of like a, a realization point for Xavier, and he calls out to the X-Men that they need to stop the Phoenix. Which, you know, you got to know is like rough, especially for Gene, because he's, he's broadcasting this, and there's no way she's not getting the signal to <laughs> Right, but at this point she is she's overtaken by the Phoenix and then she gets her rematch against Gladiator that Gladiator was looking forward to because the last time they fought each other he got tossed into literal space. Right. So they they go at it and then Xavier commands everybody to to stop the Phoenix Scott especially before she powers up fully again. Right, cuz she is just essentially awakened from within that cocoon again from the emotion of seeing Scott get taken down. Storm quickly gets dropped. Yeah, well, she tries because she Scott, does try. Yes, because Scott resists a little bit, and then and Storm's like, "If you're not going to do it, I got to do this." Yeah, and and doesn't last long. <laughs> Wolverine has the opportunity to, but again, unlike the comic book versions of Wolverine, who did it in the Grant Morrison run, or the Hugh Jackman version, who put her out of her misery in Last Stand, Wolverine does not get the the job done. He can't mm-hmm. do it. Rogue goes in and actually is able to get a punch off on the Phoenix. Beast shoots her with a gun. And then Cyclops drops a pillar on her and says, it's done. And immediately, as soon as they said, it's done, I said out loud watching, it's not, not done. done. 
It's like, what have you not learned through these last 48 hours? Jean has a level of control at that point and is asking Cyclops to stop her. Scott pleads, says, you know, use your mind. And kind of similar to what we just saw where she's like, I would have to do it constantly and I just can't live that way. Yeah. Because one mental break and it all comes back out again. So Jean is actually the one who sets the Plan Omega weapon online. Yeah, because Lilandra's like, we didn't we didn't do this. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as she does it, she you know confesses her love to Scott one more time and says, part of me will always be with you. And then the purple light hits from this, this beam and the Phoenix fire pops up and Jean is gone. It's Cyclo- Cyclops that talks to Lilandra? So it's Xavier. It's, it's Xavier first yeah. who says, you've won. Yeah. And then Cyclops kind of, goes at her like i hope you're happy you got yeah. your blood essentially and well andrew's like i take no pleasure in this which i i genuinely believe i think mm-hmm. it's it's very much the heavy is the head that wears the crown and if she needs to choose the life of one that has been incredibly unstable in just the last 48 hours versus billions of star systems also got to remember like she has to answer to the kree and the scrolls too yeah. so it's like Yes, it's blood on her hands, but it could be so much more blood. It's her worry on it at the end of the day. But then the Phoenix entity itself appears behind them. When this happened, I was like, did everyone forget what the Phoenix is? Not even in this universe, just the definition of what sets the Phoenix creature apart from other birds or other creatures. Is it always rises from his ashes? (laughs) But usually not within like 35 seconds. You know, the Phoenix kind of gives its little speech of who it is. And it's like, you know, it was the presence of of everything. It was used to stop the Mkron crystal. And then in doing so, it ended up discovering emotion. Yeah, my note says the Phoenix arises and apologizes for being kind of a dick. You're not wrong. (laughs) But then the Phoenix explains that Jean's flame has been extinguished. Yep. And... The fire within has yeah. been extinguished, yeah. But can be rekindled by another. So Scott and Logan kind of like argue about who's going to be the tribute. Yeah, so Scott goes first and it was weird. I don't know how Wolverine thought he was going to stop Scott, shy of killing Scott. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I mean, I get you're in love with this, this woman, but dude, he was with her. Yeah. She was with him at the end. I don't know, maybe it was like kind of that ultimate sacrifice of if, I could bring her back. She will be happy with him. You, yeah. Versus if he's gone because he was the sacrifice, she's left with us and none of us can none oh. of us can fulfill that that yeah. that that you know hole in her heart. Mm-hmm. So luckily from the you know perspective of well, I never said it had to be one and they all accept and they all kind of hold hands and there's this weird bouncing ball of light that jumps through everybody kind of a little reminiscent of the tree from the phoenix saga episodes where it's like everybody's power is is going into her and that brings gene back and the, the first thing she says when she's back is i love you scott the phoenix is like well this is over i'm out yeah i have no phoenix fucks off Yep, and then we jump back to the mansion and you get one really, really sad scene and then one hopeful scene. You get Lalandra who's speaking telepathically with Charles and basically saying her farewells from space. And he questions, he's like, well, you're hiding a part of your mind from me. You've never done that before. And granted, I feel like this is a little thirsty from him because they've (laughs) only been like a thing telepathically for a few months at this point. Yeah, But she's like, nope. 
part of the Empress is I got to be forever alone. And it's like, ooh. That's true, though, because if if she didn't know it before, this this whole kerfuffle has proven to her that she's going to have to make hard calls that no one else is going to be happy with. And she can't let the emotions of somebody else drive her decision. Yeah. Yeah. So they have their sad goodbye. And then it ends with Cyclops tucking in Jean. And I would say the vibe I got off of him was being content. So as hopeful as something as tragic as all of this has been and probably levels of trauma that I can't even begin to explore. Yeah. It's like, at least she's still here. Yeah. Yeah. And then they button that up with giggling children. Fucking giggling children. <laughs> it's the Bond end card. Uh, this is how I always love it. Yep. <laughs> few minor, or I guess not minor, but a few things. In the comic, there is the Shi'ar, Kree, and Skrull leaders who all speak. Mm-hmm. And they actually go as far as saying that the Phoenix needs to be destroyed because the Phoenix is more dangerous to the universe than Galactus is. Oh, shit. From a threat perspective. Yeah, the, if you're not familiar, the eater of worlds or consumer of is the word? Destroyer. Destroyer of worlds, cause, but he eats them, right? He literally, like, oh, devour. devour. Devour of worlds, yes. yeah, because I, I just have the image of him like literally putting it in his mouth like a piece of popcorn. You, <laughs> you watched that Marvel animated series from 2009 yes. where George Takei was voicing Galactus and he was just popping planets. Wait, did I, I didn't know that was George Takei. That was Takei. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> I only remember that because I had a Comic-Con memory pop up in my Facebook feed. Yeah. And I had interviewed a few of the voice actors from that cast. Nice. Also, in the comics, Gene was killed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this this was the first time in the comics that Gene was killed. And they they chose to keep her alive because they wanted her around for the remainder of, of the, the series that yeah. had been ordered and everything Ratings, like baby. that. And I also think it would have been, you know, they fought tooth and nail to to have more get killed. They unfortunately, from a story beat perspective, had to bring more back. I don't know if they ever would have been able to make that argument at this point in the relationship with Fox, you know? Yeah. But, you know, in the comics, like the death and resurrections of Gene have been an ongoing story point for, you know, literally 40 years now. Yeah. Gene has died many times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and been resurrected and another person resurrected as gene i don't even want to say the name because who knows that may pop up in 97 like we don't know what's going to happen but yeah that is the dark phoenix saga and this was a extensive recording session (laughs) on a saturday night in los angeles going through these four episodes but you know i haven't watched these in succession in god at least a decade at least since i moved to los angeles yeah it is one of the best four-part stories of i would go as far as saying any cartoon easily but i can't think of a four-part story on tv that hit so perfect every single beat of the way through as the dark phoenix saga did yeah this was done really well like there's you know besides a, little, a couple of goofs we've made and jabbing and stuff this has been pretty immaculate like yeah. story-wise and everything there's action and drama and like a little bit of comedy and stuff. but i but i think that's also a part of like aside from miss color yeah miss color is fucking production studio but aside from that it's like i think we also we love it because it's a comic book and there's certain things that are tropes or whatever it is that that's a part of why we love it because if it was all so serious the entire time and you didn't get wolverine getting thrown into a duck pond and stuff like that it's less to to hold on to like it doesn't have that like i mean shit how many times have we made jokes during lockdown to not go crazy and it's like 
Are they the best jokes? No, but we do it because otherwise we're going to lose our minds. Yeah. So I could see people making dumb decisions. I could see Wolverine making a duck joke yeah. when, when Gene is trying to kill him, you know? I mean, this is more a testament to, they shouldn't do this now because I'm sure Feige and the whole Marvel crew have a better integration of all the X-Men stories to the MCU. But when Fox had X-Men, like they literally should have just taken this as a storyboard. Twice. I mean, I, yeah, I, I said, yeah, God. Yeah, and I said this during the regular Phoenix saga too, but definitely this because they've specifically done the Dark Phoenix saga twice in the yep. Fox X-Men stuff. They, were, they could have just taken this and made it like a teensy more serious for live action and it would have been great. Like, I can't believe they didn't take this story. I think at least in the first one, it was too cosmic for the, the Fox Marvel universe. Yeah. And then in the second one, they ju- they misinterpreted it. The fact that they didn't go the Shi'ar route and they went with the random aliens that nobody gave a shit about, mm-hmm. that made no sense to me. That even Jessica Chastain was like, I don't know my character's name. I was like, that's, that's good. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is the Dark Phoenix Saga. Thank you guys for joining us. And if you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them into the comments of either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram of this episode. Just so you know, the official Instagram posts are the Monday ones. We call those the Mutant Monday posts because that's a hashtag that tends to get traffic. And if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and CastBox. This has been too emotional to come up with something at the end. (laughs) I'm now just going to go pass out. Same. Same.